Turn in your Bible this morning to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. William Barclay tells of an old man who, as he lay near death, was obviously troubled. And when asked what was bothering him, he said, one day when I was young, I was playing with some other boys at a crossroads and we reversed a signpost so that its arms were pointing in the wrong direction. And I've never ceased to wonder how many people were sent in the wrong direction because of what we did. So all his life, his whole life, he had walked around with this guilt for something that he had done when he was a child, and now he comes to the end of his life and he wonders about that. All of us, all of us have things in our lives that we regret, things that we would give anything that if we, if we could undo it and go back and do over, because none of us are perfect. All of us make mistakes. So dealing with guilt is one of those issues that is very difficult for many people. And there are a lot of Christians today who are walking around with a heavy burden of guilt because of something that they've done in past times. There's nobody in scripture who carried a heavier burden of guilt than did King David. David was an incredibly gifted man. He was a prolific writer. Uh, he penned the most famous words probably ever written. The Lord is my shepherd who I shall not want. He was a great leader. He was a great soldier. But at the height of his career, David had a moral failure with Bathsheba. You remember that story. David decides that he will solve that problem by arranging to have Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed so that he could marry Bathsheba. All of a sudden enter the prophet Nathan. David had been dealing with his sin. David had been dealing with the guilt of his sin for over a year when Nathan shows up. And from several Psalms that uh, David wrote, we learned that David's guilt was very heavy. This was something that stayed on his mind all the time, even though he thought he had fixed it so nobody else knew. And by the way, everybody else knew. Uh, he thought nobody knew, but they all knew. But he dealt with this terrible guilt. So Nathan comes in with the story, you remember, of the poor man's lamb who had been stolen by the rich man so that the rich man could prepare a feast for uh, some guests that were passing through. And so David reacted instantly to that story. He said, that man has to die. And that stolen lamb, he's, he, he's going to have to repay that fourfold. And so then you get those famous words of Nathan the prophet when he said, you're the one, you're the man. And all of a sudden, all of that pent up remorse, all of that pent up guilt and regret came flooding out. And so with his heart beating, pounding in his chest, 
David writes Psalm 51. Let's stand together in honor and reverence to the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities." Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast, that word steadfast means right, R-I-G-H-T, renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise." Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Father, help us to have an insight into what David was going through so that for those who may be going through similar circumstances in their own lives, dealing with guilt and past regret, that we can find a formula this morning that will help us overcome that through your Holy Spirit, by your power. Remind us that we are completely and totally dependent upon you in all things. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you go back to Psalm 38, Psalm 38 verse four, David wrote this, for my sin, my iniquities, have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. I think that would describe how a lot of people walk through life. That this burden just goes over their head and and, and it's like a burden that's too heavy to even carry. You know, when we get cut, we bleed. Well, in the same way, when you sin, you feel guilty. That's the way God made us. Bleeding and guilt are both God-given warning signs that something has happened that needs our immediate attention. 
In Psalm 32, verse 1, David gives a wonderful biblical principle. He says, blessed is he whose sin, whose transgression is forgiven. That word blessed, you remember in the Hebrew, actually can mean happy. So you, you know, in, in Psalm 51, he says, uh, restore, create in me a clean heart and restore uh, this right spirit in me that I may have joy of my salvation, of your salvation that you've given to me. So when we confess our sin, when we truly repent, God replaces our guilt with his blessedness with his happiness. So in Psalm 51, there are a lot of things you can do with Psalm 51. I could tell you what sin does to your life. All throughout 51, Psalm 51, David goes through and he talks about how sin dirties our soul and dominates our mind and disgraces God and all of those things that happen when you and I sin. But I wanna approach it from the standpoint of, of this. There are six things that you and I have to do in order to get rid of guilt. We'll go through them pretty quickly. Six things that you have to do to get rid of guilt. Here's number one. Number one is you accept the unconditional love of God. Look at verse one. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my sin, my transgressions. David did some pretty horrible things in his life, didn't he? He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He practiced deception. He was a liar. But in spite of all of that, David begins this psalm with a knowledge that God still loves him. Have mercy on me, O God, according to what? Your loving kindness. Here's what you and I need to remember. Because God loves you and me unconditionally, there is absolutely nothing that we can do that would stop God from loving us. God never stopped loving David. There was not a point in time, in, in spite of all the things that David was involved in and the things that David did, there's not a single point in time when God says, David, I've had it with you. I'm done with you. I don't love you anymore. That never happens. When David sinned, God didn't stop loving him. And when you and I sin, God doesn't stop loving us either. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. No matter what we have done, no matter when you did it, God still loves us more than we can ever Imagine. Now listen, when we, when we sin, the devil will immediately come to us and try to convince us that God doesn't love us anymore. He comes in and he says, oh, you have really blown it this time. Oh, what you have done this time is just too much. It's too great. Your sin is too, too great. And so God doesn't love you anymore. Listen, write this down. Our forgiveness is not based on how bad we have been. Our forgiveness is based on how great God's love for us is. Don't ever forget that. 
It is a satanic lie. It's a lie the devil poked his head right out of hell and told. That God doesn't love you anymore because of what you did. It's a lie. Your forgiveness and my forgiveness is not based on how bad we have been. It is based on the greatness of the love of God for us. So the very first thing you have to do is you have to settle in your mind once and for all, nail it down, uh, get it straight. God's love for you is unconditional. Accept that. That's hard. That's hard for us because that's not how we love most of the time. Our love is conditional. Our love is conditional many, many times. As long as you do what I want you to do, I'll love you. As long as you act the way I want you to act, I will love you. Long as you do this, that, or other, so there's always a condition placed on it. You have to accept the fact that God loves you with an everlasting love that is absolutely unconditional. Here's the second thing. Once you accept the unconditional love of God, then you need to accept responsibility for your own actions. Look at what he does in verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. So in order to rid yourself of guilt, you have to assume responsibility for your actions. We live in a world that plays the blame game. Everybody else is responsible for my trouble except me. But that's not what David says. David doesn't say, well, I wouldn't have done this if he hadn't done that. If Bathsheba hadn't been out there on that balcony that night taking a bath, I wouldn't have gone over there and gotten her. It's her fault. You see, he accepts responsibility Notice there's not one word in Psalm 51, not one word of self-justification. In fact, go back in verses 2 and 3 and just circle the personal pronouns in those two verses. Me, my, I. If I've counted correctly, I think there are eight. There are eight first-person pronouns just in those two verses. Why? Because David is taking responsibility for his own sin, for his own actions. Think about how we talk about sin today. People are not sinful. They're sick. They're not wicked. They're weak. They're not evil. They're just ill. There's always somebody, there's always something else to blame for the reason I do what I do. And so because of that, uh, concepts like sin, repentance, contrition, atonement, restitution, redemption, all of those things that are good Bible words, by the way, we neglect those and they're missing in most churches today. If you're not responsible for your own sin, how could you be a sinner? We're no longer sinners, we're all victims. Victims are not responsible for what they do. They're merely casualties of what happens to them. John MacArthur recently said, anyone can escape, anyone can escape responsibility for his or her own wrongdoing simply by claiming the status 
of a victim. And all you have to do is just look at the world around you. We're all victims of something. But David doesn't do that. David says, wash me, cleanse me. Remember, this is a king who takes a bath in a marble bathtub. He sleeps on silk sheets. He wears royal robes. And yet, in these two verses, he feels dirty and he prays that God will wash him, that God will cleanse him. But it wasn't his body that needed cleansing, was it? It's his soul. Wasn't what was on the outside, it was what was going on on the inside. One of the best ways, listen, one of the best ways to know whether or not you are truly a child of God is this. Ask yourself this question. Do I feel dirty when I sin? When I sin, do I feel dirty? Because if you are truly a saved child of God, you cannot sin without feeling dirty. And when you feel dirty because of your sin, you're going to immediately hear two voices. You're going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and you're going to hear the voice of the devil. The devil is going to rush in and again, try to convince you that God doesn't love you anymore, that you can't be used by God ever again because of what you did. The devil wants to take you out of the service of God by convincing you that your sin has irreparably wrecked God's purpose for your life. Well, if that's the case, God really isn't sovereign over all things, is he? If what you do can wreck the purpose of God, then you've got more power than God has. But that's what the devil tries to convince us of. Oh, what you've done so bad, the, uh, nobody will ever forgive you for that. Oh, what you did is so bad, you can't ever be used by God. You have destroyed the purpose of God. So the devil comes in. He wants you to believe your sin is too great to be forgiven. But the Holy Spirit also wants to get in on this, and he wants to get you back on track. He wants you to be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life, and we call that conviction. We call that being under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. The, listen, the devil condemns. The Holy Spirit convicts. Those are two very different things. The condemnation of the devil is an attempt to get you out of the service of God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is God's attempt to get you back to where you belong, to get you back on track, to get you back into the service of God. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us for one reason. He convicts us so that we will take responsibility for our sins. You accept the unconditional love of God. You take responsibility for your own actions. Number three, you confess your sin against God. Look at verse four. Against you, he's talking to God. Against you, you only have I sinned. First and foremost, all sin is against God. All sin, all sin 
is an offense to the holiness. It is an, it is an insult to the character of a righteous and holy God. Now, some humans may also be affected by our sin, but first and foremost, all sin is against God himself. And so David knew what? He knew that he had used his power as the king to manipulate Bathsheba. He led her into sin. He made her a widow. He deceived her into marrying her husband's widow, uh, her husband's murderer. David not only robbed Uriah of his life, he robbed him of his wife. But David also understood, and you and I must understand, that every sin, every single sin, from gossip to murder, is ultimately against God. Every sin violates the law of God, and every sin shows our lack of love and trust to God. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, what will you do? You'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say. So every sin that you and I commit, it doesn't matter what kind of sin it is, it doesn't matter what you've done, but listen, every single sin is a sin against God. And so we have to confess it that way. Here's the fourth thing. You accept the unconditional love of God. You take responsibility for your own actions. You confess your sin against God. Number four, you ask God for forgiveness. You ask God for forgiveness. Verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. It's not enough just to admit our sin. You have to ask God to cleanse you from that sin. Now, to better understand that, what that means, you need to understand the word hyssop. There is a rule of biblical interpretation that we call the rule of first mention. If you want to really know what a word means in the Bible, uh, you're reading, you want to go back and find the very first time that word is ever mentioned in the Bible. And that will help you to understand what it means throughout the rest of the Bible. So hyssop is used here. And so we go back to the, to the rule of first mention and we find that hyssop was a small bush and they used it as a brush. The very first time that you ever see the word hyssop in the Bible occurs in the book of Exodus during the very first Passover. During Passover. You remember the Jews are preparing to leave Egypt. And so God told them that they should take the blood of an unblemished spotless lamb and they should put that blood in a basin. Then they were to take a bunch of hyssop. Remember, it's a bush. So they get a bunch of, of hyssop. They use it as a brush. They were to dip that hyssop in the blood and then do what with it? Put it over the doorpost. Why not just leave the blood in the basin? Why'd they have to take the hyssop? Because God is wanting them to make the pattern of the cross. In, in, in Exodus, listen, 
there is what we call a crimson river that runs all the way through the Bible. It runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's all about the blood, all about the blood. What happens when Adam and Eve sin? When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They took uh, fig leaves and they made clothes for themselves. And so God comes into the garden. What did God do? God killed an innocent animal, took the skin of the animal, made clothes for Adam and Eve. But in order for, for Adam and Eve's sin to be covered, something had to die. There had to be bloodshed. So this idea of hyssop and, and the blood over the doorpost is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. God said, I'm going to come through Egypt tonight and I'm going to strike down the firstborn of every home except, except I will pass over any house that is under the blood the shadow of the cross. So David understood the concept of Passover. So he says, purge me with hyssop, which means cleanse me with the blood of an innocent victim that has died. Jesus had not yet died on the cross. So David had to trust the blood of a spotless lamb. You and I, are on the other side of the cross. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 reminds us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and what? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we have to come to God and ask for forgiveness. That word cleanse in 1 John 1, 7 means to clean up from any impurity. So when you ask God to forgive you, he cleanses you. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He washes it away. Does that mean some of our unrighteousness is taken away? No. Does it mean most of it is taken away? No. It says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Just, you're already thinking it, right? What's all mean? All means all, that's all all means. Does that mean God cleanses us from murder? Yes. Does that, God, does that mean God cleanses us from abortion? Yes. Does that, God, does that mean God cleanses us from whatever sin you can name? Yes. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. One of the most amazing things to me about our God is that when he cleanses our sin, he completely wipes out my sin record in heaven. As far as heaven is concerned, God makes it as though it never literally happened. And so I don't have to feel guilty about something that never happened. You following me? Well, well I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, I, you know, I know it says he, you mean he cleanses us from all sin? All, 
If you come to him and confess your sin and you repent of your sin, he cleanses you from all right unrighteousness. And that means in heaven it's never remembered again. Never remembered again. Every single sin you can name. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will not forget. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. You know what that means? That means that if you're still walking around here with guilt over some sin that you say you have repented of and confessed, God is not the one who's bringing that up in your mind. The devil is the one who's bringing that up in your mind. God said, I'm not going to mention it anymore. Don't you wish everybody did that? He says, I'm not gonna mention it anymore. So listen, if you're still dealing with sin in your life and you just keep remembering, it's been 10 years, it's been 15 years, it's been 30 years, it's been yesterday, and you're still struggling with that, one of two things is happening in your life. Number one, the Holy Spirit is convicting you, and if it's the Holy Spirit who's convicting you, you have not confessed it, you have not repented of it, you have not asked for forgiveness, so you need to do those three things. Now, once you do that, you say, okay, I did. I went to God and I said, dear God, I am so sorry for what I've done. I, I repent of my sin, I, turn, I recognize, I take responsibility for my sin, all of those things, and I confess it, and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Now, when I ask God to forgive me of my sin, does he say, well, let me think about it? No. No. Does he say, well, you know, you've asked for forgiveness for this about five or six times. I'm about tired of dealing with you. He doesn't do that, does he? It says he cleanses, if we confess our sin, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So if you have done that, God has cleansed it and it's over, it's done, don't speak of it anymore. The second thing then that would be happening in your life if you're still struggling with the guilt of past sin, if you've confessed it and you've asked for forgiveness, then it's the devil who's coming into your life and he's trying to destroy your witness. He's trying to keep you from living up to what God has intended for you to live up, up to. Remember, write it down, Jeremiah 31, 34. I will forgive their sin and I will remember it no more. Number five. Let's move. Number five, once you've asked God to forgive you, then ask God to restore you. You have to have restoration. Look at verse eight. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. David asked God to help him forgive himself. David says, help me now accept the forgiveness that you've given me. I've discovered in my own life that it is much easier for me to believe that God can forgive me than it is for me to believe that I can forgive myself. Anybody else? Does that ring a, resonate with you at all? It's easier for, the, for me to believe that God can forgive me than it is for me to believe that I can forgive me. I can't change the past. 
but I can change the future. So as I reminded you last week, focus only on the things you can control. Don't focus on things you can't control. That's not going to do anything except cause worry and regret and all guilt, all those things. You can't control that. Only focus on the things that you can control. Isaiah 43, 18. Prophet says, do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. In other words, don't focus on your past failure. Focus on what you can do from here forward for the kingdom of God. Focus, you know, you're going to come to this altar and you're going to confess your sins and you're going to repent and you're going to ask God to forgive you. And when he does that, then you say, now, Lord, restore me so that I can serve you. I can fulfill your purpose. In my, let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Appeal to God for restoration. Number six, and finally, avoid future sin. Look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Basically, David says here that he wants God to help him. I want to learn. I want to learn what I need to learn from my past mistakes. I don't want to do it again. I want to learn what I need to learn, but I want to avoid future sin. Now, to avoid future failure, what do you have to remember? You have to remember the pain. You have to remember the unhappiness that was caused by your past sin. Psalm 112, verse 1, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Remember that word blessed means what? Can mean happy. True happiness is only found in avoiding sin. So whenever you start thinking about you're going to do this, remember how miserable you were when you were in sin? Remember how unhappy you were when that sin was unforgiven? You remember that part of it? Don't do it again. Don't, don't, don't keep doing the same old thing. Remember the definition of insanity? doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. If you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, and you're gonna get the same thing you've always got. And if what you've always got is misery and pain and unhappiness, then you need to do something different. You need to put your trust completely and totally in God. You need to accept the fact that he loves you unconditionally. You need to take responsibility for your own actions. Maybe there's some sin in your life this morning that you need to confess. Maybe you need to seek God's forgiveness and, and appeal to God to restore you. Maybe you're struggling with the same old sin over and over and over again. Maybe you need to Come and ask God to help you avoid uh, future sin. Lord, I, listen, it's not going to happen until you completely and totally surrender your whole life to God. 
our culture has gotten to a point that we don't want to do that. We want to take a pill or we want to read a book or isn't there something else I can do? No, there really isn't anything else you can do. The only thing I know to tell you to do, the only way you're ever going to get rid of this guilt, the only way that you're ever going to deal with sin in your life is to get on your knees before God, confess that sin, repent, and ask him to forgive you. And then accept it. Accept it. So what do you need to do this morning? Which one of those six steps do you need to take? 